Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of HR Tech Chat. And I'm very excited and pleased to have uh, with us as guests today, uh, Mike Erlin, who is CEO and co-founder of Ability Map. He's joining us from the land down under, Australia. Do they still call it land down under? I think so. I think you do, That's yeah. an American bias. <laughs> you can call it Oz. Well that was a, <laughs> that was a, some nice illusion. Nice illusion there, <laughs> viewers. You'll see in a moment. <laughs> and we also have Mike Bollinger, um, who is VP of Strategic Initiatives at Cornerstone On Demand, and my former colleague uh, at that at that um, company. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Excited, actually. Yeah, yeah, me too. And yeah, me and by too. the way, folks, since we have two mics here, uh, we'll be re uh, referring to Mike Bollinger simply as Bollinger and uh, to keep things straight. And uh, we'll refer to Mike Erlin as uh, his email prefix, which is Merlin. So we'll refer to him as Merlin. Well, there's a little bit of magic in Mr. Merlin, too, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, good one. So we wanna to talk today about artificial intelligence and, um, and how it relates to human capital management. We've been talking about it in several episodes of the podcast over the course of the year. I've written about it uh, a bit on the blog for 360 Insights and uh, Bollinger and Merlin and I had a very, very interesting conversation uh, a little while ago, then our Septembers got busy. Uh, around bias in artificial intelligence and human inputs and um, just various uh, opinions around that. And, and uh, Mr. Bollinger, I'd like to yield the floor to you for a moment here. There's, a, there's an article, very, very interesting article by John Sumser that kind of uh, got our juices flowing here, if you want to maybe clue folks into that. Sure. Um, and before I, I do that, one thing I, I did sort of make a little bit of a joke about bias and, you know, down under and so on. But the idea behind that is very, very true. We all have biases. Every human has a bias. And in many cases, it's it's a good thing. One of the things that we know is that if you've ever seen a map of the world from the Australian point of view with Australia on top, um, it has a very different perspective. We know because of the explorers in the, in the uh, history in the past three or four centuries that there's a, a north bias to our maps. So the idea of down under is a bias all by itself. So I've always kind of talked about bias, thought about bias. You know, we talk about bias a lot in HR, but it was really my friend John, John Sumser, and, and uh, I'm, I'm sure he's going to be just fine that I'm, I'm referencing this article. He wrote an article called Bias and AI, Are People the Problem or the Solution? Um, and I had a conversation with him for a while, and John's been talking about this for a while, but what he really talked about in this article, and I encourage you to go look at it, it's on the HR Examiner, hrexaminer.com, is that there's two groups of people when it comes to tech and HR. Um, and the tech group thinks and, and believes, and to some degree, I agree with that, that assessments tools can help eliminate hiring bias or that they can help uh, redact particular kinds of search information that might trigger bias or that matching tools can help create diversity and, and so on. And the human group, the, the people who are on the other side, 
are concerned about and believe potentially that vendors who create these kinds of assessment tools and delivery tools have implicit bias built into the tool itself long before the data occurs. In other words, the models themselves. So what that means is that if machine learning finds patterns in data, that's just fine. But if, if you have a bias in AI, are the patterns that it's trying to identify biased in the pure nature of looking for those patterns? So it's an ethics question that I think is going to face HR more and more and more is around this. Uh, and, and John terms it the noisiest of ethics questions. But um, how does it really happen? And, and is it going to explode more? And what is it that humans are going to do um, in, in the pushback, the old movie, The Minority Report. And, and so I think today we should talk a little bit about um, the tools that are very useful, the potential bias that goes into those tools and maybe the human's place in that, uh, that uh, equation. Agreed. I, you know, what's interesting uh, to me uh, in that whole description there is this idea that you know, there's two camps. We have sort of this um, either or uh, viewpoint or attitude uh, or this debate. And I'm wondering whether whether we need to have, on, on the one hand, this needs to be discussed, but I'm just wondering if the premise, uh, if part of the premise may be just a little bit off kilter, not quite where we need to be um, discussing it. From, from my viewpoint, you know, you have, you have human input no matter what, right? You know, we have in human input in the development of the models, right? And these, we have these models that are, you know, that are at least, you know, purport, that the creators of them purport them to be unbiased or, or excuse me, uh, endeavoring to eliminate bias because they're not completely- That's a better way to say it, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then we have, the other, the other camp that says, I am kind of repeating what you're saying, but I just want to put it just a different, little different way. We have this other side that's saying, okay, no, we need to make sure that it's very human. We have very, very human inputs. This is what I'm getting from this. Um, so that what develops is not, does not create a, um, does not result in a, in what we perceive to be, or what feels like an inhuman outcome. Um, well, so maybe, let me let me let me try and um, Mike really good job teeing up John's article too, but let me introduce another concept, um, and I'll uh, and I'll say that when we're talking about bias, just out of curiosity, do you guys generally interpret that to be a negative bias or a positive bias? Is bias negative or is bias positive? So that's why I brought up the map example. Right? Yeah. It just is. It's it's neither positive nor negative. It it, it just is. But That's right. um what you what I think we should be considering is is it's not necessarily about eliminating bias, which a lot of the tools really purport to do. Rather, it's about identifying certain patterns and allowing the humans to us as humans to make good decisions. Well, that means that we need, need to make judgments and we don't buy the output of the machines verbatim. And therein lies the slippery slope. So maybe for the conversation, if we flip it around a little bit and say, instead of saying tech or human bias, 
maybe we say we recognize that there is the risk is uh, tech bias, and there is human preference, and that human preference is something that we want to understand and frankly embrace because that brings the human aspect to the technology's application. And in that application, we're trying to understand how to remove technology bias mm-hmm. because it has no human aspect. I'll, I'll buy that to some degree. I think where where we need to be, though, is we need to be at the front end. I think that's the point of John's article. We need to be at the front end that as we create models, we need mm-hmm. to be mindful of our own bias in those models. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, what's the old joke about projects? Sorry, I got somebody at the door. What's the old joke about projects, <laughs> right? Uh, or, or models, some, uh, they're all wrong, but some are more useful than others. Yeah. So that's an important part of this overall approach, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, John talks about, John talks about, um, you know, the setting the, the algorithms and how okay. those are, have their inherent bias. He then talks about the, the, um, the sourcing of data and the cleaning of data afterwards. Hey, look, there's Lee. Hi, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Zoom. You're on a web, you're on a, a HR Tech web chat. This will be going out to thousands of people. So say hi to. How thousands. are you? Hello. Good to see you. That's Mike Bollinger. Oh my gosh, I love the silver fox look on you. This is great. <laughs> you look great, and the beard, very cool. Okay. Uh, 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 Brent, this is my beautiful wife, Lee. Hello, HR Hello. Uh, Tech Chat. Um, this is my wife, Lee, my dog, uh, Troopers, right there. <laughs> Wonderful. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, and good to see you, Mike, and have a really good meeting. Sorry I interrupted. No, no, no problem. Okay, you got to keep that in the recording. <clears throat> oh, yes, we will. <laughs> so I, I think one of, the, one of the things, if we're talking about the front end of the model, one of the things that you need to have is you need to have identified set of, of, and Mike, you've been through this with the work that you're doing, but you have to have an identified set of guidance, if you will, or governance. And um, not that I cite Google as the absolute best own of all things beautiful and lovely, but... They do have principles uh, that they try and create and that they articulate around being beneficial. I'm looking at it now. Uh, avoid creating or reinforcing bias, which is an important part of it. Be, be safe, be accountable, create privacy designs as a part of it and be available um, with those principles. So if you set some governance in the beginning around what it is you're attempting to do, then um, <clears throat> then you become a better deliverer, if you will, of a model that at least can identify and articulate what the bias is. Going into a use of that tool as a human then, I know what I'm probably going to get and I can account for that. It creates a better outcome, I believe, if you go into it with those principles. Does that make sense? Well, and that, yeah, and that goes to what we talked about in our first conversation, which is, you know, it's about asking the right questions, right? So before, before you even apply an algorithm, are you asking the right questions? And maybe I'll try to get a little more concrete here by let's just use hiring as a, maybe a first talk, talking Good. point, which is, okay. So our approach is we, we, we've learned over time. Originally, when we started, 
we thought, oh, remove all the subjectivity and bias of hiring managers and what people define for the job, right? And I think John called it out. And one of the tools that we have is the ability to take a group of people who are high performers in the job and find out what makes them tick in common from a human capability standpoint, okay? Mm -hmm. And as we started in really 2016 doing that, we started to observe, wow, it's kind of important how you select what high performers are and you embrace people of diverse backgrounds and you make sure that the metrics that are defining your high performers are quantitative to the business you know, digging into all that. There's quite a bit in there. But even when we got to the high performers, what we started learning more and more is that the biased views of what leaders want in a business is an aspirational view as to where the business needs to go. So we quantify that as well, right? And then you take research from Sumzer or you take research from Josh, as an example, or Bollinger, your stuff, and we look at, well, what, it, what are the research findings? And what we give our clients the ability to do is to look at what they want, mm -hmm. look at what they have, and then look at the research so they can make an informed human decision about what they need. That's one of mm -hmm. our best practice ways right now. Now, mm -hmm. once you've established that, call it a success profile, which most people know it by, then the ability to um, apply AI, advanced computation, algorithms in a way that does not, that has the minimum amount of bias applied to the quantitative evaluation of a person in this case, mm -hmm. that's critical because mm -hmm. we then compare them, we, you know, we do both on the same framework, if you will, and that allows us to compare people. But I think I've kind of learned that in that article of Bollinger talked about the tech by the tech view and the human view, I think there's a blended view, at least right now, that has to incorporate and respect and embrace the human bias toward the want, the, mm -hmm. the decisions that humans make based on maybe it's actual quanti you know, quantitative evidence of high performers, but recognize, did you do that right? And then look at the research and make an, a, a judgment call, because that's why we're in, humans are in the positions, we're supposed to make these calls to determine what you want and remodel, but always when you're evaluating people, I think that's where the you have to embrace their preferences, which is a different story we'll come to, I think, but do that extremely well, reliably, consistently, without bias. Sorry, that was really long. Did that make any sense? It does, and you need to recognize, um, and we'll, I'm, I know Brent's ready to, to jump in here. Um, you need to recognize yourself yeah. that if you can't take what the machine is giving you verbatim, you have to understand it. And yeah. so the notion of, of predictive kinds of analytics, um, they don't predict the thing you should do, they predict the potential outcomes of the things that you should do. You still need to account for that. If you take what's coming at you verbatim, well, the machine says it, so that's what I need to do that's creating the slippery slope that I don't think any of us as HR professionals want to have. Yeah, well, well and, and on that point, too, it's like there was one of the other articles tied to John's article talks about, you know, are we looking at correlations, which has risk? That was referencing that article 
where you know the you put in historical data and, and low income as a driver for recidivness of of uh, of um, repeat crime uh, crime incidents. Um, so there's there's a correlation, or is there a causal scoring model? And the causal scoring model is a whole different bar. And to date, I I you know I won't say that our system is a causal scoring model. I, I, I won't say that. I can't say it. What we're showing is a correlation based on these parameters. And I think our parameters are very solid. We've taken a lot of time to do that. But when I go in and I talk to organizations, and it typically happens in recruitment, they want to push a button and say, okay, so I should hire. And right. I just go, I, I go, guys, no, you know, we're bringing quantitative, quite objective evidence based on all the stuff that we do that is another critical factor to work experience, to education, to performance reviews, referrals, whatever it is. And it's giving you insight into areas of human capability that we haven't had. But my goodness, do not, that is not a yes-no decision. And I think a lot of people look for that, and it's dangerous right now. That's the slope. That, that's huge, actually. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's actually a real, um, um, uh, I think... Uh, an inclination, I think there might be an inclination might uh, sort of manifest or a surface where it will be like, okay, let's just let's just look at this. We'll call it psychometric data, right? We'll look at this instead of all the other, you know, yeah. sort of uh, conventional traditional data that we've uh, or information we've always considered in making a decision on who to hire, right? And I, I think I was talking with somebody recently around this and. Uh, um, she called it, you know, we, we, for so long, we've looked at, you know, let's talk about the traditional sort of conventional data, the old stuff that, you know, it'd be bereft of this, you know, this better insight into soft skills or how people fit in with the, within a culture, right? We look at what's called, you know, eligibility data, which is, you know, it's kind of like our credentials or, you know, where, where have we been, if we, if we worked at the right places and then, um, you know, do, do we have enough of a career arc in order to uh, enter into this new position if we're looking at the resume, right? And then, and then maybe performance, performance data, you know, how did they perform, you know? And, and I think the, the, and the problem with that is that there's this, this, uh, this uh, just assumption that, that, you know, past performance and eligibility, eligibility data is, is, is definitely an indicator of future uh, high performance. And it's not, it's, it's not not, but it, but it, it, it isn't uh, solely right. Uh, and, well, and what's really interesting here is that is that. Go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go. You go. I'm just going to raise my hand so I don't forget it. I just don't know how to raise my <laughs> hand on this. I may have already forgotten what I was about to say, but but um, if if we're talking about putting as much, I, I want to go back to what Bollinger said around around uh, Google's. Google's sort of guidelines. Principles. Principles. Yeah, principles, right? principles. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Principles. And that to me is really interesting. Um, I would be very, I would be very, um, I, that even that can be a slippery slope because you have to be careful about preconceived, I'm going to call them preconceived notions as, as opposed mm -hmm. to, to biases because be, uh, just for this purposes of this conversation, right? You would want to make sure the, that you've aggregated as many potential put, uh, preconceived notions or biases, human biases around every one of those principles, you know, the perspectives on those principles, 
and I'm talking about sort of a theoretical AI world, we just throw it all into the hopper and mix it up in the AI, the more data you have for the, from the, the broader um, uh, cross-section of, of humans, right? The more reflective, excuse me, yeah, the, the more perspectives it will represent going in and the greater the, um, the, the, the potential that the AI will be able to sort it out and make sense of it in a way that we haven't been able to through our sort of analog back and forth between each other, even in social media, we're just kind of communicating with each other on a well, human level. So I'm going to use a simple, quick example, and then, Mike, this is going to help you. You're going to pile on from what I'm going to say. <laughs> to your eligibility question, I guarantee it. To your eligibility question, I always cite this simple example. I have a niece who is an exceptional author, a well-written, well-regarded author, writes all the time, writes for newspapers and so on, and is exceptional at it. She took a gig, a role, as the um, as an RPA chatbot voice, and her her job was to ungenderize the voice of the chatbot. She knew nothing about technology, but she was exceptional at that part of the process, and and earned a good living in a startup by doing that. So eligibility, we, we tend to take these these paths that are around, if I got this skill, I got that skill, I got this skill, I can do these things, when that is completely outside, natural language processing is completely outside the technology purview that she landed in. So um, one of the dangers of using AI to be prescriptive and predictive is you miss those kinds of things. And I'm gonna pause, because I know Mr. Erlen is gonna to wanna to talk about that. Well, I, I think I'll, I'll come to that um, because that's identifying um, her, her in, innate, inherent uh, talent that she has for um, a specific role, absent the fact that she may not, not have ever done it before, which is absolutely critical, particularly in Australia, because even though we're on the top of the world, um, our borders are closed. And, and, and so had we're no not background in tech. And had no background in tech on top. Yeah, I mean that, that's yeah. a beautiful yeah. story. And so let me come back to that because I think we might want to, particularly with that segue, I think we need to look at, in terms of setting up the question. This ties to something that we talked about a long time. Remember when we started talking about the future of work? I mean, it really started picking up about four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and what we said is that as our, all our jobs get taken over by technology, humans are going to have to step to a higher level of analysis and thinking. Okay, <clears throat> I think at this stage in AI, um, and again, one of those articles talked about either the governance of the, the questions that you're asking and the tools that you're applying, and whether uh, it'll be legislated, which takes longer, whether it'll be done by communities in a responsible way, or whether it has to be owned by the people who are applying it in roles. I think we have to understand we have a responsibility to think about these things. It's not going to be perfect, but to do our best because we're in this period of transition. So higher level skills around how you apply it and being open and aware to that as a new component is critical. Now, the second component, which goes to your niece, is the piece that is missing, I, I firmly believe, is the, um, the embedding the human preference 
um, I agree. in the AI, because I'll yeah. give you a perfect example. Most all the systems, Cornerstone, where we all spent work at one time, right, is a wonderful system, but it is um, subjective, biased, and observed in the measures that it applies across the full talent spectrum, okay? Performance review. You have self-assessment, you have manager assessment, and you have 180, 360 potential. And we right? all know about the Rater effect, right? The performance, the Rater effect, R-A-T-E. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. We look at, we look at, I may have taken a job um, and I have the skills to do it, but what's everybody screaming about, particularly down in Australia right now, is we're all worried about the great resignation boom, right? Well, why would that happen? Because people aren't engaged in their work. They don't align with it. They don't, they don't value it. None of that is in our systems right now. The only way you get that is by diving deeply into the inherent preferences of individuals to understand where we really care, where our passions lie, and thereby where our skills lie at an inherent level. Because mm -hmm. we, can, we can put skill, we can build skills for anything. We're humans, right? That's what we go to school for. It doesn't mean we like it, right? Yeah. So if we don't understand that foundation, and let alone in our, in our human capital management systems, but when we start applying AI and those inherent human preferences or bias what I, what I care about isn't considered, then we're going to be applying developing people in areas in which they, we don't get them into the flow, right? They're not digging what they're doing. They're not passionate about it, and they're going to leave. Mm -hmm. the, and great the, the great resignation is the great search for meaning. Yeah, yeah. it oh, is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right about that. And you, you talk, uh, Merlin, you talk a lot about uh, making sure what, people dig right he's leaving <laughs> you called him out he's leaving oh he doesn't dig I'm this <laughs> i'm getting all heated up if i don't have my water i'll die oh yeah so you talk about what what people dig and you and you talk about um i've heard you use that term many times and and, and i love it um you talk about just now you talked about you know what what people inherently are good at is what they is what they dig and, and, and I think you're right, but I, I would just say it a little bit differently. I would say that if you're doing what you dig, you may not, you may not be the best at it, but, but that might not be the most important thing. You know, if you, if you're really liking what, if you really like what you do, then you're going to contribute something of worth. Like, uh, let's talk about rock and roll for a second. Okay. Kurt Bain, Kurt Cobain, right? <laughs> the guy. The guy was not a really good guitar player, but I'm sure he really dug playing guitar, you know? I don't know if he'd ever become a shredder, you know what I mean? This is for the yeah. Gen Xers in the crowd, but you see what I mean? So I think that, you know, it could go all the way to engineers. And obviously you need some of that, you need some of that rifle shot, um, pure talent, uh, like like the story you were telling, Bollinger, of the ungenderizing the voice and and um, and her ability to do that. that that's a real true sort of just rifle shot talent that you need. And I, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but, you know, I think of neurodiversity, right? Um, and, you know, I think of, you know, folks on the uh, autistic spectrum, right? And they they often provide a very valuable sort of oh, yeah. rifle shot um, 
um, capability to 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 a team, right? And so that so there's that. So I think we're talking about you know there's those those two two things. You you you're you're right. But what happens is everybody. So I I take your point. When I say people dig it, that's great. But there are there are different levels of of um, human preference, behavioral preference that I have, right? Mm-hmm. And so if let's just think that, um, I, I don't know, Mike, about your niece, but let's just say listening, uh, and we focus on human capabilities. We don't deal with the technical ones, right? But let's say that, um, that listening and supporting diversity and understanding the needs of others was, was, was recognized as being absolutely critical when you're having to degenderize a voice. Let's just say those were identified, right? And let's say that I did an ability imprint, which is our tool to evaluate it, and they came up as my, those three came up as my strongest inherent capabilities, preference capabilities, okay? Because I had all, I dug the things that were there, they were my strongest. But what, what has to be done is you have to then compare my proficiency level or sorry, you have to you have to compare my level of preference to create a proficiency level relative to a population that's being looked at. Because Mike's niece could have come in, and she is absolutely super passionate about all the behaviors that go to how you care for somebody, understand their needs. That listening, her listening skills are highly attuned because she looks at how people react. She asks questions. She she plays stuff back to clarify. She's at the top of her game. So even though my, what I dig may be those same three skills, and they're my tallest, at a level compared to a population that's going for that job, Bollinger's niece is across the chart. She's at the top. Mm-hmm. Okay? My, and my, and so, real point, my real point to that yeah. story is if we'd have used any kind of a classical tool, that synergy would never have happened because she's still a writer. That's what she just, that was just a gig, right? And it was through a connection to a connection to a connection that that synergy occurred. And she did that work. And then she went right back to what she does naturally and knowingly. And so there's a a privacy aspect to it. There's an interest and influence aspect to it. There's a a bias aspect to it. And I think that we're starting, and, and you talked about biometric data. There's also biometric data that has bias in it as well. Um, and so, you know, we're starting to see those things come together to the point where there's genuine concern um, in in industry and in government that is starting to develop a life of its own. Um, you know, we know about the European uh, interventions in terms of privacy and AI. The federal government just came out in the U.S. and said we need a bill of rights for AI, right? And they're taking, you know, input on that and so on. But I think what is what we're seeing is through the advent of advances in technology, you're starting to see a real recognition, at least on the part of many people, that um, you can't take it wholeheartedly, and that others need to be thoughtful about the outputs in a way that yields a good outcome, not a predetermined outcome. And that's really where I'm going is, is how can it be a good outcome rather than a predetermined outcome back to our recruiting analysis? Right. And, and, and I want to just add here that, 
I'm so glad you brought that up, Bollinger, because I was just about to say, you know, that this, how much of, you know, what we're discussing tonight, like the, the depth, like sort of the depth of, to which we're thinking about this, how, mu how many builders of these AI-based tech tools, how much of that sort of thinking is going into these right now? I, I, I'm going to guess maybe n n not that much. I don't know. I mean, it feels like we're at a point where, where this these kinds of conversations that we're having here, which is kind of sort of the impetus for this HR tech chat, really, is that we need to start making sure that these types of uh, this sort of you know this breadth and dynamism uh, of of, um, of discussion needs to needs to feed the AI now. I believe very firmly that the creators of the tech and and the and the, the tremendous amount of intelligence that goes into it is very well intentioned. Okay, mm -hmm. um, and they have a fervent belief in the work that they're doing will yield a better outcome. Mm -hmm. um, I think what I'm suggesting is, and potentially you'll see government intervention in Bill of Rights and all the privacy stuff and the AI uh, in Europe, which is a very interesting <clears throat> legislation. I encourage the listeners to go look at that legislation. I think what you're going to see is an expectation that you are able to articulate the bias that went into the creating of that tool, what it is and what mm -hmm. it is not. And if we can do that in a way that is meaningful to the, the buyer and the user of that tool set, we're all ahead of the game. Because yeah. what those tool sets yield are good outcomes in terms of patterns and so on. We just need to be wary and mindful that we can't take it wholeheartedly. Now, not everybody is well-intentioned, but we're we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna see with all this Facebook paper stuff, you know, um, you know, algorithms, um, how it's used. I mean, you have to think that legislation's coming down, and it's gonna be like it always comes down. It's gonna be a blunt hammer that breaks a lot of stuff yep. uh, until it until it gets refined. And, you know, the three of us talked about this. I think the reason we brought this, we want, and it's great. We got some are doing articles. People are talking about it. But our community in the HR community, we have a responsibility to take a leadership role in this soon um, because it, it'll, it'll be applied, you know, um, in many cases through no intention. But if we don't step back, if we don't think about those things, it's not going to it'll just get it'll 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 the beast will get loose and if you look at it one of the things i i think the reason we're seeing more about this is because just look at the time since all this stuff started going down i mean you remember mike cambridge analytica when we were back at cornerstone and i was pitching that um you know to the president uh, the the cornerstone events or whatever you know that's when we started seeing it and i think what's happened is more companies like ability map like you know many others are starting to get data sets in which, you know, like we're on our fourth revision of our review and revisions of our algorithms and, and the things. And when you start getting data you can work with, you can start asking the questions differently. You can start, you know, identifying things that you're doing well or haven't done yet, as well as things that you need to change. Um, and we're just in that process. And there's a there's a personal responsibility that I think everyone in this industry should hold. Not everyone. And that's will. the governance that I'm bringing. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. With yeah. That. yeah. In 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 the um you know the the alternative or the um 
you know, is is not very desirable. You know, I, I think back to the uh, the article that I mean, right? I hear think back to the article that you shared with us, uh, Bollinger, around. Uh, I think it was it was either Amazon or UPS drivers, um, and it, the AI was there was some sort they were of getting they were getting dinged because they were making too many turns when there was a safety aspect to it. So it literally was tied to their bonus. And yeah. the routes that they were taking, which they were taking for good reason, were actually impacting their bonus because the machine thought the route should be different. That, exactly right. And that is an example of, of HCM, like the HCM apparatus, trusting the AI maybe a little too much. We With the best of intentions. It was a safety exactly, move. Exactly, exactly. Well, here, 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 here's one. Here's one. A friend of mine is an, an incredibly seasoned uh, uh, contemporary uh, executive leader, CEO, EVP, big companies in Australia. Um, I rate her super, super highly, okay? Um, she left a job at whereby she was um, uh, CEO of a very large uh, consumer organization, let's just say. You know, their customers were consumers. She then moved to a very large um financial institution where she ran a division and um, she had an opportunity uh, after that to go be CEO of a really cool um, lifestyle company. Um, just I'm trying to keep it a little vague so people don't know in case it talks. But And she was, in my opinion, an incredible candidate for this company where it's at, their global expansion needs, and they would have been fortunate to have her in any capacity, let alone as CEO. So she, and she knew one of the board members or something, and that's how she found it. She went through the interview process, and she didn't get it. And I had lunch with her, and I said, what happened? She goes, I got to tell you, Mike, um, they, I found out that basically they had run an algorithm, a technology, over all my LinkedIn, all my Facebook posts, and I got flagged for using harsh language and being unprofessional. I said, really? Mm. And I said, why do you think that happened? And she said, well, in both of the last two roles that I had, um, I'm active on social media so that I can hear my customers um, at all levels of sociodemographic levels across society. And so I would often like, you know, or, or comment on things that people were saying, which would never, you know, be said in the same way in the types of environments that I sit in. But it was the customers and it was things they were saying about their experiences or their views on what they need. And they might have used language. They might have been spelled incorrectly. And so when the technology went out and looked at all my responses, it showed that I had people of alternative views and maybe you know, backgrounds that were not good, but they were our customers. And she goes, that's, that's why, and that got weighted, and they didn't go any further to look at it. I just found that to be an incredibly fascinating example that's more akin to the roles that we're in, but what a shame. I mean, not only did the organization, all of its customers lose, I think, one of the best people that could have led that company, but because there was such a degree of weight put on something where they didn't understand that frankly, the fact that, that this she was doing this shows how incredibly 
connected that leader is to her market. And, <laughs> you yeah. know, it was... But the real key takeaway to that story is they use it as a single factor decision. Yeah. What yeah. humans do is they create a tapestry by which they use that for a judgment call. Mm -hmm. If we cede the high ground to one or two single factor kinds of decisions, that becomes problematic. But social voice is a big part of this. I'll give you one quick example. I know of a company who monitored the social voice of a, of a subset of individuals, mostly LinkedIn and Facebook posts, a few Twitter posts, um, and they were looking for salespeople. They were hunting for salespeople. So what they did was they monitored and they looked for salespeople when this other software company um, was at club and they knew that they were at club. So they were looking for tweets and LinkedIn posts and Facebook posts around, we're in Hawaii at, during a certain time frame. And they identified those people and they recruited those people and it worked. Okay. Mm, yeah. So that's an example of using it in a, in a positive way for the outcome of the company and the individuals. The point is you don't cede the high ground to a single or dual factor decision. It has to be a wider tapestry. Yeah, yeah. In my, in my so we go back to what's the question that you're asking and do you understand what's going to come up in 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 the bias that it, it has so that you can make an informed higher level future of work decision mm. correct absolutely we don't know uh, so, enough i mean we we don't know enough uh there are a I lot think... of great minds working on this there's some fascinating stuff brent what i should do is yeah. I think there's a really good um, uh, AI curriculum uh, uh, from Stanford, I think it is, and it has all these little things to read underneath it. Um, maybe we can put this into the, uh, the follow-up here. It's public domain. It's U.S., I understand, um, because I think there are ramifications globally. But it might be, for those that are people that are interested, there's a ton of little snippets in there, and it's what... They're trying to teach the future students of AI. They're trying to frame for them a context before they even get oh, into the nuts and bolts of the tools. I'd love that. Please send that to me because I definitely want to include that in the uh, the uh, introduction to this. Just that that example that you shared, Merlin, around, and then the one you shared, Bollinger. That just shows you know that there's so much we don't know around what matters and what doesn't. You know, and it, I mean, the nuances are just, they seem to be endless, you know, in the one example that, that Merlin shared, that was a really bad idea to, to weight that so highly in terms of uh, crawling their social media activity. Whereas in the example you shared, Bollinger, it was the exact right thing to do. Um, so it's, it's very, you know, but you're right, you know, it needs to be a constellation of factors considered and, and then, and you know, as humans, we, we kind of absorb it all in and then we kind of divine uh, sort of a, a decision, right? We, we arrive at a decision, you know, and it's, even in it's, Mike's it's, example, even in Mike's example, that's a good idea to go out and look at that and, and yeah. use that, right? That's not a bad idea. Um, if anyone's interested in that, by the way, you should go figure out how Disney goes and recruits, but that's another story. But it's a good <laughs> idea. It was just used badly. Yeah. The results were used badly. The results actually Fair. the results yes. actually mm. illustrated this one of this individual's many strengths. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, you know, I'm looking at the time and uh, we've been talking for a while here. This has been super interesting. Um, any any I've final another dozen rabbit holes we can dive down. I know. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> hey Brent, summarize yeah. summarize the key takeaways, mate. What are the key takeaways we got from this? Well, I think one key takeaway is that we need guiding principles uh, as we go about this. We need as much data as uh, this is my pet theory is that we need as much data as possible from as many perspective human perspectives as possible uh, to to make this you know as as um, uh, palatable to to humans as possible. We need to take into a, take into account human preference. Uh, we need to understand that biases can be positive or negative or even neutral. Um, and, and we need to make sure that, uh, that we're not trusting the AI too much. And then we're also looking to uh, inform AI so that it gives us um, uh, guidance as opposed to, you know, black or white answers. And, and with the understanding that we'll, we'll be continually learning. The AI itself, and we will be. And this, this is a, this is a virtuous circle. It'll continue and continue and continue. This yeah. is not. There's not sort of some end game, where we're gonna we'll all be able to stop doing this because the AI will be perfect, which, because it never will be. Never will be. Yeah. Uh, I think I, what I'm taking away is, uh, you know, this reinforcing. Understand the questions you're asking. Um, inter interrogate both them and the, the resulting data results from multiple dimensions so that you, you understand it. Because I think we, we're abdicating, we're abdicating, um, sorry, this is a generalization, obviously, but there's a risk of abdicating the decision authority that we really can't afford to do right now. Yeah. And to pile on that last point one more time, and it's tempting to do so, as humans, mm. you have to fight that temptation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to defer to some someone else, and that someone else is becoming the AI as opposed to a human being. That's, and that's well, that's, that's what we do with ways. It's a new that's skill what we set. Do it. Yeah, we we say ways get us there fastest, and we 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 start the Congo line through the neighborhoods. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. See more than once. <laughs> well thank you gentlemen this has been fantastic thanks so much thank you thank you that was great, always guys. enjoy him well take care bye-bye